You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Our scripture reading this morning is coming from 2 Kings 6, chapter 1 through the 6th verse. It says this, Now the sons of the prophets said to Elijah, See the place where we dwelled under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water. And he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. Bless God's word this morning. This is his word. This morning I have the privilege of tumor. Uh, Will and Jeff uh, actually attended seminary together. And Jeff has planted a church in Alexandria, Virginia, which is a transit church. He planted that church in uh, 2012. And it's Acts 29. <clears throat> He's married. He has three kids. He has two boys in college, and he has one daughter in high school. He loves God. He loves to preach the gospel. Hear ye him. I kind of like that. That's short and sweet. So Joseph and I were talking as, uh, as I came in this morning, and I looked at him and I was like, like, we're going to keep this short and sweet, because as a guest preacher, it's always hard to live up to the hype. Live up to the hype of whatever your biography might be, and the anticipation of, uh, of what you're going to say based upon all the hype that, you're, that you might lay out online, in your online presence. It's glad, glad to be uh, I'm in big trouble, my what? friend. I didn't miss the kids. Uh -oh. Hey, kids, it's class time. See you later. I wasn't going to dismiss the kids. They're already gone. Yeah, all that to say, it's good to be back with you all. I, I, don't, I couldn't remember when the last time I was here. I know we were wearing masks, so you all look different this time. And, uh, and thank God for that. It is a pleasure to be with you all. Will's a great friend of mine. Uh, actually, we met before seminary. Uh, uh, Will was interning at a, a sister church to both of our churches uh, in Fairfax, and I got to know him then. And then we both ended up in seminary together at RTS. And uh, it's been uh, my joy to see you all mature as a church, and it's good to be, to be here to witness what God is doing both in your church and in your city. So thanks for the invite. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Kings uh, 6, um, and I, I'll start with this. It's all about asking the right question. It's like the parent who um, walks in the kitchen, finds out that their kids have ate all the cookies in the cookie jar. All these 
Did you eat all the cookies to which all the, all the kids deny? You know, one of them was lying. They said, no, we didn't eat the cookies. And so mom dutifully decides to ask a different question. And so she asked just a whole group of kids, so one of you all tell me, how did the cookies taste? To which one of the younger kids answers, they were delicious in, in the only way that a little kid can. I think it's the same way when we come to the Bible. We have to ask the right questions. A lot of times we come to the Bible asking, how does this apply to me or what am I supposed to do? And perhaps you can see the deficiency in those kinds of questions when we come to a passage like what we've read here in 2 Kings chapter 6. In a passage like this, I mean, what, what do we come up with? Uh, don't borrow tools. Or if you have a big building project, make sure you got a, a, one of the, the world's greatest prophets with you in case you need a, like an instant miracle on hand. And so the encouragement here is that we have to ask the right questions. And in this case, the appropriate questions to ask are our couple. Firstly, what does this tell me about the God that redeems? What does this tell me about the God who redeems? And secondly, what does this tell me about his redemption? So we're going to use those two questions to try and understand this text. I've got a simple three-point sermon for you. And my first point is this. God is concerned with the simple needs of his people. God is concerned with the simple needs of of his people. And so you listen to the text. Hopefully you were reading along. This is a short story in the narrative, in the longer narrative of the prophet Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in, in all the Bible. As we enter 2 Kings, 2 Kings really is the slow downfall of the, the, the northern and the southern king of Israel. Their, their rise to greatness, their following of God, and how the kings slowly fell into idolatry and led the rest of the country to do the same. And God, of course, sends them both into exile. The northern kingdom in 722 B.C., the southern kingdom is up to come alongside the king to provide leadership for the king, but also for the country. We don't get much explanation of, of this in Scripture, but Elijah is said to be a leader of the school of the prophets. The way that this, this text um, kind of coins it and the way that you'll see it um, written in most of Second Kings is he is leading a school of the prophets. And so these son, uh, the, the sons of the prophets, they come to Elijah and they ask him for both permission and help in regards to something that they want to do. You see, uh, they tell him they need a bigger, to, to build a bigger dormitory. Uh, the sons of the prophets are basically a seminary. And it seems that enrollment is high they have no more room to fit the, the, the enrollees that are coming to the school, the seminary. And so they ask Elijah for permission to build more space, but also they ask him to come along with them. And so Elijah obliges. He comes, and they come along to some location uh, around the Jordan. We don't know exactly where. And they begin cutting down trees. These trees, of, of course, are going to be for the building of this, this school of the prophets. And one man, we don't know his name, he's cutting with an axe, he's cutting a tree, he rears back, he's going, he's going to probably chop as hard as he can, chops down a tree, and the axe head flies off behind him and ends up in the Jordan River. And with that axe head sinking to the ground, so does his heart, because this is a borrowed axe. And so uh, he calls out for Elijah, 
Elijah responds with help. Elijah cuts off a branch, throws it in the water, and the axe head floats up to the surface. That was easy. In preaching terms, there's a few ways that you could actually preach this text. The obvious theme is one of miracles because Elijah, is, I mean, he's just performed a pretty cool miracle. How would you like to see uh, gravity be defied and something that shouldn't float come up to the, to the surface of the water? That's what he's actually done. And if I were going to preach it like that, I'd focus on the should not float to actually do so. And the main idea of my sermon would be to exhort you that this stuff happens, that stuff like this, is, it, it can happen. Believe the scriptures. This is God's word. More so believe in God. And that wouldn't be a heretical take on this text. Would you agree? So, you know, that's not the angle I'm taking today, right? And here's why. It's because that's not what most of, uh, most of you have trouble dealing with. Most of us in this room don't have trouble believing in miracles. We don't have a problem with miracles. We're people of faith. But here's what we have a problem with. We have a problem with the improbable. Uh, 19th century British author and playwright Oscar Wilde says this about the impossible versus the improbable. He says, man can believe the impossible, but man can never believe the improbable. Man can believe the impossible, but man can never believe the improbable. The The impossible here is the miracle. In other words... We can believe that things that are hard to explain can actually happen, the outlandish things that we see, over-the-top miracles, complete mysteries. It's not impossible for us to even see or hear of those things and believe that they have happened. And so if I would ask you, as people of faith, you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus, we would say, yes, we do. If I were to ask you, as people of faith, do you believe that Jesus actually walked on water, as the Gospels tell us, and we would say, yes, I believe that, that he did. If I would ask you, as people of faith, did Jesus rise from the dead? The pinnacle, obviously, belief of our faith, we would say, absolutely, we believe that. The impossible for us is usually not hard for us to believe. We have faith for the miracle. But the improbable is harder for us to believe. Y'all know what the improbable here is? It's that God cares about your problems that you can reach out to the great God of the universe and that no matter how small or mundane or simple that God hears and knows and sees you in your plight, even in the small, and he's willing to respond, that that will bring them to him in prayer and that he will somewhere kings or even go forward. It's interesting if you go back into the, the text of 2 Kings, or even go forward in the text of 2 Kings, before you get to this chapter and before all the verses that we've read here today, you notice that they concern geopolitics, like large things. Elijah is the prophet of of the southern kingdom uh, of, of Judah, and everything that he deals with happens with geopolitics, the movement of empires. He is um, advising kings who are leading the country. They also involve the control of people. But then right in the middle of that, we have this little story that nothing really hangs on it. There's nothing really inconsequential. Nobody's salvation hangs on it. Nobody's going to die if this ax doesn't get um, found. There's no fate of an empire at stake. God just seems to do this great thing through Elijah for this inconsequential man that we don't even know his name on a regular mundane day. I think for some of us, that encourages us. 
It may signify to us, well, maybe I could just ask for something simple and God would respond. But I think for some, believe that in hard times that God actually sees and hears me. It's that belief in the improbable, that God cares about our problems. I think sometimes we make God to be this cosmic CEO. We look at the world and see its complexity. And the world right now is really complex, isn't it? This is, this is, I, I've been alive 56 years. Of course, I don't remember the first five or so. And although the 60s were, were precarious in many ways, civil rights movement, uh, the killing of a president, killing of Martin Luther King, civil rights movement, Bay of Pigs in Cuba, all those things. Right now, the, the world is crazy. And so all this stuff is going on, and really, God cares about me and my problems? Someone once said, God's greatness is not an enemy of his personal nature. And one of the ways that God shows us his character is how he proves to be faithful in the little. The psalmist says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. That word steadfast for me always stands out because it means that God is consistent He's not going to change with the seasons or change with my disposition. He's he's faithful. He's faithful in the big, but he's also faithful in the small. And so, church people, are you okay with God being in the details, even the small details of your life? I think the truth is that God doesn't have to do this. He is that immense. He is that uh, that, that far away from us, that he does not have to do this. Pay attention to those things that are going on in our lives or even the small things. He doesn't have to care about such matters. And yet, we learn from Scripture through people like this son of the prophet, who we don't even know his name, that he does small things, which says there is no concern that's too small for our God. God knows your need. He cares about your own axe head, whatever that axe head might that really doesn't mean that, that God's a pet God. He's not a genie that we can, inside a bottle that we can rub and, and get three wishes. But God is personal. He knows you. He's concerned with the simple needs of your life. Here's a second point. God is also concerned with the real needs of his people. God is also concerned with the real needs of his people. Look at verse 5 again. But as one was felling a log... His axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. And so this axe head presents a real, like, real, uh, I don't know much about the geography of the, uh, of the Jordan River. If you call, recall the Old Testament, uh, in a sense, the, the Jordan is, is long. It's about 171 miles long. It is not as wide as most rivers that you'd find, about 10,000 feet across. Remember, uh, uh, Joshua is the one that took Israel, and they walked across the Jordan River. And so in some places, it was kind of shallow, although God did kind of perform a miracle by um, clearing the water as they stepped in the water with the ark leading them. But there are places where the Jordan is also up to 200 feet deep. And so depending on where this axe head actually goes over this man's shoulder, likely, and ends up in the water, it would have been kind of hard to find out where it was. But more than that, considering the day that that they lived in and how you procured iron and metals like this, 
it was even more impossible for, it would have been even more impossible for him to, uh, to regather or remake or some kind of reclaim iron to build another axe, an, uh, an axe head. Um, Second Kings was written about Ahab from archaeology. Israel was behind the power curve when it came to uh, all the complex details of, of, of uh, mining, uh, mining to, get, to get the metal, of refining it, just all the complex details of being able to secure metal like this. And so this man's crisis is not as simple as just going to Home Depot and getting another axe. And so when this man loses his axe head, he knows this is beyond his ability to, to pay it back if he doesn't get it back. What's presumed in our text is that these are simple people. They're scavenger type people. They don't have much of anything. And, and so losing this axe head represents a favor that he can't return, a debt that he can't repay. And it's not only a real problem, it's a real concern. And my emphasis here is, is this is not unlike the real problems that you and I face on a daily basis. And when you're in that place, it can be a struggle to believe that God cares about your real problems. Like when something really happens in the moment and all you can think about focus on is that one problem, regardless of how complex or how simple it might be. I think one of the disconnects is that we have uh, different ideas about what real needs actually are. If God is God, he's always making provision for the things that we need. Sometimes God provides and we're like, well, well Lord, that's not exactly what I was asking for. So I'm, I'm acknowledging that you, you did help me in a way, but could you help me a little different way? I think another disconnect appears in our prayer lives. The question is, what do we pray about and what do we not pray about? Have you ever thought about that? Like there's something instinctual about us that we pray for certain things and some things we, we just choose, I'm going to solve this in my own strength, in my own intellectual ability. How is it that you exercise your trust in the goodness of God? Now, my contention here, it shows in whether or not you pray and actually what are the things that you are willing to pray about. And so tomorrow morning, if it's still cold, right? Cold came, I mean, this was out of, the, out of nowhere. I think like a week ago, it was 81 degrees, at least where I live, 30 miles down the road. 81 degrees, and then we have a snowstorm with snow actually landing on the ground. So if it's cold tomorrow morning, your car doesn't start, and you got to get to work, is that something you pray about? Let's say your washing machine gives out, and you got like five loads of kids' stuff to, to wash, and it's like nasty. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you call uh, American Home Shield and get the, the service guy to come out? You pay your $100 copay. Like, I've got this issue. You, you're going to help me? I'm like, what, what should I do? So I just dial up American Home Shield. So you got problems with one of your kids. They're at school or maybe perhaps a neighbor kid is, is picking on them and your kid is distraught over it. Is that something that you bother the Lord about? These really are the everyday problems of our lives, aren't they? But what do we do with those things? Everywhere I go, I talk about Paul Miller. Paul Miller is an author. Um, he is a uh, son of a famous uh, ministry person, uh, and one of my favorite books of all time is Paul Miller's A Praying Life. For, uh, for, for the church world, what Paul Miller does in this book, A Praying Life, is he makes prayer accessible 
and he makes prayer practical. And so if you've never read A Praying Life, I think the book is maybe 10 years old, but Paul really serves the church in this area of prayer with this book. He tells us in great detail and with passion um, why a Christian should pray. And so he's just, this is a story from the very beginning of the book, and Paul writes, uh, when his daughter Ashley was 14, he had taken his family, um, five of his six kids, and his wife on a on a camping trip in rural Pennsylvania. Paul is from Philadelphia, and so they only went a, a, a short ways outside of the city. And she's walking back to their campsite, and he sees 14-year-old Ashley standing in front of their minivan, I guess in the parking area, wherever their campsite is. She's tense. She's distraught. She's freaking out, looking at the ground feverishly, um, and he notices that something is wrong. And so he asks, Ashley, what's going on? What's wrong? And she tells him, my contact lens has fallen out. They're at a campsite, right? Near the van. Um, if you've ever been in the military and gone on a field training exercise, if you've gone camping, you know finding a contact lens in a campsite is way different than finding a contact lens that's falling down on the ground, like in your house somewhere, in the, in the kitchen. Like, like something is, is really wrong. This is a real problem. Paul Miller says they're parked on gravel and dirt. Ashley, don't move. Let's pray. And she starts bawling. Like she starts crying, bursts out in tears. And then she says, dad, what good does it do? I've prayed for Kim to speak for five years and she still isn't speaking. Now that deserves a little backstory. Um, He tells later in the book that he has uh, a special needs daughter who has a learning disability. She has an auditory uh, issue. Um, she can't speak. She has, she has trouble with fine motor skills. And their whole family had been praying for this daughter, Kim, just to be able to speak among all the other disabilities that she has. And that's been to no avail. In fact, he goes on to explain that his wife, um, they had put her in speech therapy for five years straight. And after those five years, his wife, Jill, says, like, we're, we're done with this. This, is, this isn't going anywhere. And so that's what Ashley's responding to. They've been praying um, fervently for uh, her sister, his daughter, to be able to speak, and just nothing has come of it. And so Paul Milne stops where he is, and he, he prays out loud. And here's what he says. He says, Lord, if you don't show up, right now, we're in trouble. We need you. Ashley needs you. The family needs you. We need your help. We're in trouble. His daughter, Ashley, had grown tired of a silent God. And Paul Miller decides, all right, God, you're not silent. In fact, I'm going to show my daughter that you're not silent. I'm going to pray out loud, asking for the very thing that we need right now in this moment. Remember Oscar Wilde's words? Man can believe the impossible, but man can never believe the improbable. I think the urging of Scripture, if you you look at the breadth of Scripture from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, is for us to pray in, in all things, that there's nothing too small for us to pray about. There's nothing too hard for our God to pray in everything. To ask, to seek, to knock. 
So a story about myself, about three years ago, a friend of mine, he's actually uh, works with me in an organization called Leaders Collective. And so I get the opposite, like Will, who are starting churches or mentor them to, to be healthy people as they're pastoring shepherds of people. And so my friend and mentor sent our family a Christmas present a few years ago. And among the Christmas presents that he gave us, one was a journal, just a thin Moleskill journal. And on the, on the front, it had etched uh, on the front, Jesus only prayers, Jesus only prayers. And he put a little letter in there for us. And uh, the letter explained, this journal is for you to capture uh, your Jesus only prayers. And the Jesus only prayer, as his letter explained to us, are those things where you're in a situation or a circumstance that there's no way you can get out of that without God's help. Like you absolutely need the Lord's help and his movement in your life for whatever you're thinking about, praying for, whatever is plaguing you in life to come to fruition. Moreover, he said, I want you to start cataloging or I invite you to start cataloging, firstly, ways that you've seen God's kindness. Secondly, ways you've seen God's provision. Third, ways you've seen God answer prayers in your life. And so, like, I'm not a big journaler, I gotta be honest. And I actually didn't never write in the journal, but I actually, I mean, I'm, I'm an iPhone person, right? And so I use my notepad all the time, and even now you can look at my phone, and I created a memo in my iPhone notes, and it says, Jesus only prayers. And I got them all ticked off, and when, when the Lord responds, I, you know, I just cross through it with the little, that little S symbol on your, on your iPhone. And I'm actually embarrassed to stand up in front of you and tell you that I have a testimony in regards to these Jesus-only prayers just because I do this for a living. Like, for faith, particularly pastors, sometimes we can believe the impossible, but we can't believe the improbable, even for ourselves. And so I put God to the test. I obliged my friend, and um, for several years, I've been cataloging Jesus-only prayers for my family, for my personal life, on behalf of the church that I planted. As people give me prayers that, uh, that, that they're stuck in the middle of, of a difficult situation, I'll add them to my list as well. And I would be honest with you. It's like Jesus has responded. He doesn't always respond in the time, the time frame that I want, but he has always responded. Let me give you some examples. For years, during my, high, my, my oldest son's high school years, uh, there's just relational tensions between us. Every time I talk to him, uh, he, uh, for him, this is his words, he perceived that I was criticizing him. And so I just needed help. I needed help, firstly, in my own understanding. I needed help in the ways that I communicated with my son. I needed the Lord's help in desiring to be with my son and my son receiving the, the being with that I was willing to give. And it wasn't instantaneous. I couldn't have snapped my hands. I, like, I didn't even know what to do. My middle son was experiencing bullying several years ago. Uh, this is like 10 years ago now. But part of it was just um, lack of courage on his part. But the other part is just like bullying is bullying. And we prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed the Lord. Guess what the Lord did? He removed the bullies. Thank you, Lord. We've prayed for provision for college for our kids because I'm a pastor and like, we're like, where am I going to get the money to send my kids to college? We prayed, we sought a, a building for our church plant for, for many, many years. We were meeting in a school like you all did for six years. And 
Um, I had done everything I could. Every time I'd meet uh, a church with a, with a building, I'd go introduce myself to the pastor and say, hey, we're looking for space. Could we share your space? And uh, in most cases, it would be like, we like your church. Glad y'all are in the community, but no. Right? And then when I stopped doing that and just added it to my Jesus only, li- Jesus only prayer list, Lord, we're seeking a building. It's not a have to, but it would be great if you would bless us with a, a more permanent space to meet as a church. And when I stopped trying and did a little more trusting, the Lord met us where we were. And we've, we're in a, a wonderful facility now. Jesus only prayers. God cares for the real needs of his people. Here's a third point, and I'll be done with this. Well, not quite. A little bit more. God cares in advance of our needs. God cares in advance of our needs. God is concerned with the simple needs of his people. God cares for the real needs of his people. Thirdly, God cares in advance of our needs. Verse 5 again. But as one was felling a log, his axe fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Verse 6. And the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, and he cut it off with a stick and threw it there uh, and made the iron float. Did you notice in our text that the, the son of the prophet, he is not mine. And then he turns, and we're not given a lot of detail here, but it seems, it appears as, as he's turning, the prophet Elijah is already there. I mean, that just stands out to me. Elijah's with him. These sons of the prophets, for all intents and purposes, he, he asks for per, provision before they even have the need of it. And they ask for provision by simply asking the prophet Elijah to come with them. I don't even think Elijah probably even helped in any physical manner at all. I doubt he picked up an axe, chopped down a tree. He was probably there just being with um, the, the, these men that he's mentoring and checking on their progress. But the Lord provides this provision in advance. So when this crisis happens, he's right there. And that's a beautiful picture of God's redemption. This passage not only teaches us about God, the God who redeems, it teaches us about the nature of God's redemption. I believe you and I are like the man in this story. There's been, a play, the, there's been placed on us this enormous debt that we can't begin to pay off. We've all borrowed something from God. And the thing that you borrow from God is your very life. You're not your own. The Bible says you were bought at a price. Your abilities, your relationship, the faculties you've been given, the very stuff that you have are not your own. Every breath that you take is a gift to you from the Lord of all the universe. But scripture tells us there'll come a day when all people will stand before this living God and give an account for this life that they have been given to live. You'll give an account for what you've done with that life. If you haven't placed your life and your soul in the care of the God, who's the only one capable of, of paying for it, your borrowed life, you might as well have lost it in the bottom of the Jordan River. It doesn't matter if you're moral or immoral. At the top of your game, at the bottom of a riverbed, the day of reckoning comes for us all when the owner comes and asks for the property that's been lent to you. And the question for all of us is, what will you say? What will you say about those things 
that you have borrowed, which is your life. And I'm, trying not, I'm not trying to, to, to be a, a downer in this part of my sermon. Actually, the, the admonishment is, is pretty simple. It's, it's don't lose hope. Do what this man did, this son of the prophet. Take your request to God, the God who cares enough to disallow this accent to get lost permanently. It's the same God that won't allow you to. God has made provision for us. One of my favorite scriptures in, uh, uh, in the Bible is Romans 5.8. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Provision in advance. And that's a common theme, this, this idea of provision in advance. And we see it in so many stories throughout our lives. One example is the, the musical, The Wizard of Oz. You guys are mu- uh, musical people, like at all? Wizard of Oz, really old, really old uh, musical. Remember what happens at the very beginning of The Wizard of Oz? And so it's Dorothy, who we found out at, we found out at the end. She's actually having a, a dream of sorts. She lands in Oz, like in her house, right? And the house lands on the feet, well, the body of the Wicked Witch of the East. Wicked Witch of the East is dead now. And the, the, the Munchkins come out, they sing this song. Ding, dong, the witch is dead. Witch, oh, witch, the witch is dead. The Wicked Witch. Ding, dong, the Wicked Witch is dead. Glinda shows up. Glinda, the, uh, the, uh, I think she's the good, the, the good witch, right? She comes. She takes those ruby red slippers off of uh, the Wicked Witch from the East feet, puts them on Dorothy's feet, and then she sets Dorothy off on a journey uh, to eventually get home. And then she simply tells her, follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. And it's a journey for her to get home. Along this arduous journey, she meets some friends, the scarecrow, the tin man, the lion, and they're on this roadway. In the midst of that, she gets to the wizard, finds out he you've had the means to get home the whole time. It's the, it's the shoes on your feet. All you had to do was click your heels three times. Full stop. So have you ever thought in that musical, like, Glenda, why didn't you tell me that to start with? Like, like, did I really have to follow the yellow big road, go through all this troubleness, all this suffering to figure out that I had the shoes on my feet and all I had to do was click them three times to get home? But therein is, the, it, therein is the journey of life, right? The journey of life requires us to suffer and, and mature through some of those things. But here's the message, I think, of, of uh, the Wizard of Oz. The provision for getting to any journey in our life is, is there in advance. For Dorothy, it was right at her feet. Have you ever thought about why is this so a part of many of the stories that we live through and that we read and we watch in, in the, the creative arts, fantasy, science fiction, fiction? Why is this theme, provision given in advance, so prevalent in our lives? I think it's because it's, it's part of the ultimate story. The real story that God has provided for sinners way in advance of us even knowing that we need it. So the Bible speaks of our condition as being people who are down in a pit, in a miry clay, the bottom of a river. And here's what the confession of our faith says. Think of the Apostles' Creed. 
God comes down. That's what the Apostles' Creed says. We confess that Jesus' death on the, between Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, he descended into hell. He's cast down. The psalmist says it like this. This is Psalm 18. This is David speaking. The course of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cores of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. And so as David is writing, it sounds like a man, firstly, is drowning, but it's really not that. He's just going under. He's going under from the weight of the oppression that he's experiencing. In this case, David is trying to escape the wrath of Saul, who's trying to kill him. And that's what happens on the cross. Jesus is cast down. Similarly, in our text, Elijah takes a stick from a tree. He throws it into the water, and the axe head comes to the surface. Jesus, likewise, is cast into depths where we are sunk down. So, This is such a picture of us, of Christ's provision, well in advance, before we even know we need it. But God shows his love for you, and that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. The Bible tells you that everything you have and need for life and godliness has already been purchased for you. It's, it's already been given well in advance of your need, like Ashley looking for a contact lens, like Dorothy trying to get home back to Kansas. It's right in front of you. And so the exhortation, I think, from 2 Kings 6 is to be like this man, this son of the prophet. We don't even know his name. He's inconsequential to the story. Have confidence that this is true for your life, that God holds your life, which means you can cast yourself on him. First Peter says, he cares for you. And when you do that, you'll see how God provides for simple needs, for real needs, and he even provides well in advance for your greatest need, which is your need for salvation. He does that by giving us Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. I pray that it would not return void, that it would, do, it would have the effect that you wanted to have in the hearts of your people. I'm grateful for... New City Fellowship Church and how she's matured over these five years. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be amongst them and to, and to relish in your word and through worship. Lord, we pray especially for those who uh, are struggling with any kind of situation or circumstance, trying to decide um, what they should do about it. And the combination of this text is just to, to reach out to God, to, to give him the simple needs of our life. And Lord, just wait for you to respond. So we pray that you do that. God, I pray that those who are here and devoid of faith, God, that you um, ignite uh, a, a, a spark in their hearts that they might hear your voice and they reach out to you, God, and you'd offer the gift of salvation. Lord, our leaders are, are praying for both simple things uh, and, and, and complex things about how they do ministry, or how they care for people in the congregation, about how they uh, seek to change the tapestry of Manassas by just being a, a church present in the community. And I pray, Lord God, that you would meet them where they are and let God you hear their prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, New City.